We can only do it if we're not fighting with one hand tied behind our our back, let alone two. And so I think that right now we just need a fight. We need a fight. And we need to show and demonstrate to the American people that then when they vote to give Democrats power, we will use it to the fullest extent possible to defend everybody's civil, economic, and human rights. Yes, please do. AOC, we could use it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the progressive voices channel netroots radio radio for humans fyi nation nicolesandler.com radio free brooklyn workforce rising no lies radio verdant square radio detour talk and all your favorite podcast sites or at least most of them blanketing planet earth five days a week i'm brad friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker and all-around swell fellow Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I say swell, but I'm actually thinking tired, exhausted. Demoralized, maybe? All of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> yes. Welcome to the Bradcast. Glad you can join us for all of the above. Hello, Desi Doyen. Hello. It is, once again, everything, everywhere, all at once, as they say. And so please pardon the whiplash as we (laughs) sort of careen yet again today after Tuesday's astonishing surprise day six public hearings in the uh, bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection and Donald Trump's many attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election, including by leading what we now know that he knew was an armed, armed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol to try and prevent the winner of the election, Joe Biden, from having his victory affirmed as top 25 year old top uh, uh, 25 year old top White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson revealed in her frequently jaw-dropping testimony on Tuesday. Is that a good way to put it? (laughs) I think that's a very accurate and probably a little bit mild description. (laughs) Yeah, well, anyway, uh, as the uh, U.S. House and hopefully the U.S. Department of Justice continue to take action to move all of that forward in hopes of accountability for the disgraced former president and his criminal henchmen, we careen from that back to the efforts 
that we, the people, can try directly ourselves uh, to use to bring a little bit of accountability to those who have helped break our nation. That, of course, takes place at the ballot box. And on that note, yeah, I knew it was too good to be true when I mentioned it at the top of our previous show that I that I hadn't found any reported voting problems yet in the eight States, actually seven states that were holding primary elections and runoffs on Tuesday in Illinois, Colorado, Oklahoma, Utah, New York, Mississippi and South Carolina. And I should have added, by the way, another state, Nebraska, which held a special election for the U.S. House on Tuesday as well. I knew it was too good to last when I said, oh, there was no problems. Well, we did say so far. So far. Well, uh, apparently it took just a a while for the reported polling place problems to make their way into the media and or to my inbox. So uh, a few issues. Late arriving poll workers and no-shows caused delays on Tuesday that forced some polls to stay open later in Cook County, Illinois, a, a suburb of Chicago, despite relatively low voter turnout in that election. Chicago's board, uh, meanwhile, Chicago's board of elections found 56 delayed openings at precinct polling locations. But they said election investigators had not found enough evidence of problems to ask a court to keep any of them open beyond the uh, closing time of 7 p.m. There were Six precincts in Cook County that stayed open for an extra hour. The court's intervention for the suburban precincts came about after a morning in which some locations across both the city and the suburbs struggled to open on time amid a shortage of poll workers. So, yes, it would be very nice if you, yes, you chose to become a poll worker this year. I suspect your local jurisdiction could use you. And your fellow voters would very much appreciate it. So would the idea of American democracy as a whole. Yeah, it kind of takes a lot of people, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, and CBS Chicago also sort of vaguely reported some delays at some precincts due to, quote, problems with voting machines. They didn't specify what those problems were exactly. I don't know if I can figure them out and let you know. If they are of note, I will. In Mississippi, according to Y'all Politics. <laughs> yeah. That's that, a good name. That's really what it's called. Y'all Politics, where they were holding Republican primary runoffs in congressional districts two, three, and four. Due to an incorrect calendar selection, as they describe it, in the statewide election management system, or SEMS. Mississippians who registered to vote on May 31 of 2022, which was the voter registration deadline for primary runoff elections, or who postmarked a voter registration application on that day, did not appear in the poll books on Tuesdays uh, for Tuesday's runoffs. Voters in that situation were instructed to cast an affidavit ballot, sometimes known as a provisional ballot, uh, at the polls. Local officials said that they would uh, review the voters' registration in that case and accept the affidavit uh, ballots if uh, the effective voter registration date was on or before May 31, 2022. So a screw-up in the statewide uh, computer uh, voting system, essentially, voter registration rolls, 
that hopefully did not have a huge effect. Hopefully anybody who was uh, turned away, well, hopefully no one was turned away. Hopefully the poll workers knew that uh, if someone like that came in, that they should give them a provisional ballot. There were some reports of voters claiming that they were able to cast a District 3 ballot in the primary elections, but received a District 2 ballot instead from poll workers at the same precinct. In Utah, according to Salt Lake City's KSL-TV, in Wasatch, Wasatch, how do you say that? Wasatch. Thank you. Wasatch County, uh, some, quote, hiccups made their way to the polls, including a reported issue with touchscreen ballot marking device systems. The issue prompted a Facebook post from Republican Congressman Phil Lyman on Sunday, who said he was hearing reports of machine-switching votes in the U.S. Senate race there. So instead of investigating, he simply shouted fraud in his Facebook post (laughs) to freak everyone out. State election officials said that the problem had to do with a small font size. Wasatch County officials said only two voters asked for help because of the small font size. Officials say that all votes were recorded correctly and the font size issue has been corrected. Of course, that is the sort of thing that you open yourself up to in using unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Even when there isn't fraud, it makes it really easy for people to claim that there was. Most of Utah voting is now done by mail instead, so the number of people who had those problems was reportedly very small. In New York City, there were sadly... Uh, the norm, sort of normal number of uh, polls which had problems opening on time, uh, though it didn't appear to be particularly worse than previous elections in the city, for whatever that's worth. Yes, they have long had problems in, uh, in, uh, uh, in New York City when it comes to getting their precincts open appropriately. Overall, however, at least I should add again, so far... There were not too many reported problems for voters on Tuesday in uh, considering we had eight different states that were holding elections, many of which were low turnout elections because it's a midterm primary and because more voters now seem to be using mail-in voting these days after finding that they liked it a lot during the worst of the COVID pandemic. So we will keep our eyes out for any other problems, of course, uh, and you are always welcome and um, very welcome and, and requested to send us any tips along those lines to bradcast at bradblog.com when you have or hear about problems that you think I may not know about. As to the actual reported results so far, oh, yeah. The results of the actual elections uh, from Tuesday's uh, eight uh, different states. The uh, first to be held. And this is one of the reasons why this is notable. It was the it was a big election in a lot of states, but it was also the first to be held after the corrupt extremist, stolen, packed activist, right wing U.S. Supreme Court's decision to strip away a constitutionally protected individual right for the very first time in U.S. history with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And as the legacy of the nation's most corrupt U.S. president is buffeted even further 
by these ongoing public hearings into as many attempted efforts to steal the 2020 elections. So what can we learn from what happened on Tuesday? There were some uh, interesting clues or hints or even tea leaves about uh, how all of those things and more might affect the electorate in these decidedly unconventional times. Uh, when it comes to November's critical midterm elections now looming, a, a rare Republican who supports abortion rights found success in Colorado oh. on Tuesday, while New York's first female governor uh, positioned herself to become a major voice in the post-Roe landscape. In Illinois, Democrats helped boost a far-right Republican. Yes, Democrats helped boost the far-right Republican gubernatorial candidate who is loyal to Donald Trump in hopes that he will be easier to beat in November. Uh, and in at least two states, election deniers were actually defeated even as several pro-Trump lightning rods did manage to win elsewhere. So let's run through a, 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 a very curated and wholly incomplete set of results from Tuesday's elections. And as always, please note, these are reported results based on wholly unverified so far computer tabulations that may or may not ultimately prove to be correct or even actually ever be verified one way or another as accurate because that's how we roll in this country <laughs> when it comes to our elections. Uh, the abortion debate has been consuming much of the nation over the past uh, several days since the court's decision, but there was no race, according to AP, where it may have mattered more than Colorado's Republican primary for the U.S. Senate, where businessman Joe O'Day became one of the only abortion rights supporting Republicans in the nation to win a statewide primary this year. O'Day beat, uh, beat back a stiff challenge from state rep Ron Hanks, a Trump loyalist who opposed abortion, including uh, no exceptions for rape, incest or even the life of the mother. Wow. Which is a position that's even farther to the right than the uh, than the corrupt right wing U.S. Supreme Court. Yes. If it's going to at kill least for you, now. Anyway. Cares? Yeah. Jeez. Well, that, yeah. So uh, O'Day um, was able to be, uh, defeat Hanks. He will now face incumbent Democratic Senator Michael Bennett in November. Democrats. But here's where it gets interesting. Democrats had spent at least two and a half million dollars on ads designed to boost O'Day's far right opponent by promoting, among other things, that he was, quote, too conservative for backing a uh, complete abortion ban. Yes, if that sounds familiar, that's the old trick that uh, former Missouri Senator, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill successfully used some years ago to encourage Republicans to pick a far-right opponent uh, in the primary that she was easily able to beat in the fall after blanketing the airwaves with her own ad saying that that guy was, he's just too conservative for Missouri. And, of course, the... Right-wingers in Missouri bought it. They didn't buy it in Colorado this time. That old trick does not appear to have worked this time around, at least in Colorado. The uh, GOP Senate candidate Ron Hanks, who O'Day defeated, was also in an election, a 2020 election denier, promoting lies about the last election. He also attended the ironically named 
Stop the Steal rally that mm-hmm. preceded the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of 2021. But Hanks was not the only election d- denier to be rejected by voters in the closely divided, if trending Democratic in recent years, swing state of Colorado. Tina Peters. That name may sound familiar to you if <laughs> you does. listen to the broadcast. Tina Peters, the far-right wingnut, criminally indicted Republican county clerk of Mace County, Colorado, also an election denier, indicted for breaching election security herself. Yes, she actually committed election fraud schemes when she sneaked into her own secure voting system room late at night, made copies of Dominion's election management system software, facilitated the release of that, uh, the dangerous release of that software to the Internet, where it is no doubt now being studied for the potential Manipulation of future election results in Colorado and more than a dozen other states which use the very same software. Yes, that Tina Peters was actually running even while she was criminally indicted. I think some seven felonies and three misdemeanor counts, if I recall correctly. She was running for secretary of state in Colorado, even though a state judge had barred her from running elections in her own county where she was the county clerk in Mesa. Well, it turns out that uh, MAGA hero Tina Peters did not win the Republican nomination for secretary of state in Colorado. There's some good news. In fact, she even lost her own home county of Mesa on Tuesday. Sanity prevailed. Yeah. And she came in third, third statewide. Pam Anderson, a, a former county clerk who previously led the State Clerks Association and defends the state's all-mail-in election system. She, instead, will be the Republican nominee facing Democratic Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, an opponent of MAGA election deniers. Uh, Griswold ran unopposed in the Democratic primary. She seeks a second term of office there in Illinois. A lot of news out of Illinois. Trump endorsed far-right-wing state senator Darren Bailey easily defeated a GOP establishment moderate and several others to win the Republican nomination for governor there. Bailey now goes on to face Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker in the November general election, which is exactly what Pritzker and his allies had wanted. Pritzker and the Democratic Governors Association spent heavily on advertising to help Bailey win the GOP nomination, reminding the state's Democratic-leaning electorate that Bailey is, quote, 100% pro-life. Now, you'll recall that I've noted uh, several times the results of uh, one of the first major polls to be released after the leak of the Supreme Court ruling that would overturn Roe v. Wade. The poll found voters preferred a generic Democrat for Congress in their district over a generic Republican by five points. But when the same survey asked if voters preferred a generic pro-choice Democrat over a generic pro-life Republican, so-called pro-life, the advantage for Democrats more than doubled from five points to 13 points over the Republican. So Illinois Democrats seem to be testing That theory now in helping to uh, get this guy, uh, uh, Darren Bailey, 
selected, if you will, as Pritzker's opponent this November. So it's a somewhat risky gamble, of course. Bailey may look like an easier opponent for Pritzker to beat in uh, in the general elections, but it's feasible that Bailey could ride a red wave if one materializes, as many, uh, well, especially Republicans predict for this November. Uh, he could ride that red wave to the Illinois governor's mansion, but while, uh, you know, many think of Illinois as a solidly blue state, Pritzker's predecessor, in fact, in the governor's office was a Republican. So careful what you wish for, Democrats. Bailey bested the early Republican frontrunner in the state, a moderate black mayor from Illinois' second largest city who was who wisely had refused to say whether he voted for Trump or not. He largely avoided talking about abortion altogether. So Republicans nominated Bailey instead, a Trump loyalist who reads from Bible verses in campaign videos and proudly touts his anti-abortion policies in a state that Trump lost by 17 points in 2020. He was not the only right-wing extremist to do well in Illinois on Tuesday. First-term Trump-endorsed Congresswoman Mary Miller reportedly defeated moderate fellow incumbent and Moderately more moderate uh, Congressman Rodney Davis in the GOP primary in the state's 15th congressional district that after newly drawn maps had forced the two GOP incumbents to square off against each other. But Miller won handily even after she appeared with Trump at a rally over the weekend following the overturning of Roe, describing it as, quote, a historic victory for white life. Oh, her. Yeah. Oh, boy. She won. Now, of course, her spokesman said she misspoke. She meant to say it was a victory for the right to life. It's just weird, you know, that it just came out as it a victory for white life. Well, you know, it's also weird because shortly after winning her, her seat originally two years ago, uh, she also said, quote, Hitler was right <laughs> on one thing. Now, do I even need to share the rest of what she said at this point? When you start that as a sentence, I think you've already lost. She did go on to say that Hitler was right to say uh, that, quote, whoever has the youth has the future. And, you know, while that may be true, does one really need to favorably cite Hitler in order to make that point? I'm sure there are other examples that she could have looked for. You, you would think. So, you know, you could judge... If she really misspoke about white life or not, uh, she also voted against the certification of Joe Biden's uh, 2020 victory against Trump, which is why, no doubt, she won Trump's endorsement in this race. Well, that and the Hitler youth thing, that probably helped, too. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't hurt. Yeah. Her her, uh, her vanquished opponent, Rodney Davis, however, um who, who was actually endorsed by the rest of the Illinois Republican congressional de delegation, uh, Rodney Davis served as the co-chair for Trump's 2020 Illinois campaign. And this is the thanks that he gets. Donald Trump endorses his opponent. Why? Well, he voted Rodney Davis to certify Joe Biden for the election that Joe Biden won. So Trump endorsed his Hitler loving opponent who uh, who won on Tuesday night instead. She'll run against Democrat Paul Lang, 
who ran unopposed on Tuesday, but it's now an even more Republican district than it was prior to uh, 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 since this year's uh, redistricting. So. Hitler Youth Lady may be back in con- <laughs> will almost certainly be back in Congress. And some good news uh, for progressives in Illinois, according to Daniel Nashanian, the progressive election walk- watcher, known otherwise uh, famously as Taniel on the Twitters. Uh, he observed, quote, progressives score a big congressional win in Illinois' third congressional district. That's an open race in Cook County. In what is considered to be a very safe district for Democrats, Delia Ramirez easily won and is virtually certain to win the general election this November. So one more progressive, at least from that race okay, uh, in Congress. But it was not all joy for progressive House candidates in the land of Lincoln on Tuesday. According to The Intercept, in a hotly contested 2020 primary, 2020, two years ago, progressive Marie Newman, the candidate endorsed by the progressive group Justice Democrats in Illinois' third congressional district, she was uh, ousted. She had ousted eight term Congressman Dan Lipinski two years ago. He was one of the last anti-abortion Democrats in Congress at the time. But on Tuesday night, in the uh, nation's first primary election since the overturning of Roe, the first-term congresswoman was voted out of Congress and by large numbers. Illinois redistricting forced Newman into a member-on-member primary in a, oh. in a different district okay. against Congressman Sean Caston. He was elected in 2018 when he defeated a six-term Republican uh, hers, uh, uh, intercept notes, is the first loss of an incumbent who has been backed by the progressive Justice, Democrat, uh, uh, justice Democrats. But I will say, Sean Caston, yeah. who won that uh, Dem-on-Dem fight there, he mm-hmm. is a clean energy champion and uh, and actually uh, does ex- exceptional work on forwarding clean energy and, uh, and climate uh, emissions and all of that. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, Elsewhere in Illinois, an anti-abortion Democrat backed by, yes, the 2020 loser, Dan Lipinski, came in fifth in the first congressional district's crowded field of 17 Democratic candidates on the south side of Chicago, which, as you know, is the baddest part of town. (laughs) The uh, nomination on Tuesday was actually won by Jonathan Jackson, the son of Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. Oh. For the seat that is being vacated by retiring Democratic congressman and civil rights activist Bobby Rush. Uh, He has filled the seat for nearly three decades, but he is now retiring. Jackson should easily coast to victory in November. Beyond that, uh, as The Intercept notes, progressives saw various mixed results in the great state of Illinois on Tuesday night. In New York State, Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul easily defeated two primary challengers, one from her left and one from the right, sticking her in the middle to win the nomination (laughs) to run for uh, her her first full term as governor after ascending to the job from lieutenant governor in the wake of the resignation of New York's disgraced Democratic governor Andrew Cuomo in the Republican gubernatorial race. Rudy Giuliani's son, Andrew Lost. (laughs) And as Donald Trump would say, he lost badly. 
just like his loser, loser father. Along with uh, two other GOP hopefuls, he lost to Congressman Lee Zeldin, who will run against Governor Hochul in November. Four Republicans were vying to be New York's first Republican governor in two decades, with the... Uh, Young Giuliani coming in a distant second. He was defeated 44 to 23 percent based on the numbers reported as of today. I'm certain it was all due to election fraud by dead Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, Italian space satellites and Chinese smart thermostats. I'm sure Rudy (laughs) will get on that right away. In other election denier news in Mississippi, Trump loyalist Michael Cassidy lost a runoff election to incumbent Congressman Michael Guest, who dared to vote in favor of an independent bipartisan outside commission to investigate the January 6th attack, a commission which Republicans had agreed to support until someone instructed them, someone, I don't know who, someone instructed them to renege on that deal that they had struck with Democrats. Thus, we now have the U.S. House Select Committee instead. And I'm okay with that. Trump's losing candidate Cassidy said in campaign speeches that Guest had done nothing to stop, quote, the persecution of January 6th political prisoners. And speaking of deniers, both election deniers and climate change deniers, there sure is a lot of denial of uh, provable, provable reality these days well, in the Republican yeah, uh, side of the aisle. That's all the Republicans have now. <laughs> is denial. Is it sustainable? Well, we will see. In Oklahoma on Tuesday, there were primary races for two different two different U.S. Senate seats. One, a regular Senate election. Another, to fill the seat of one of the nation's foremost climate deniers. In the regular Senate race, Oklahoma's Republican Senator James Langford defeated a challenge from the right after he failed to embrace former President Donald Trump's falsehoods about the 2020 election. His challengers included an evangelical pastor who had been endorsed by the MAGA folks like Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, and Michael Flynn, who should now be known as the uh, fifth uh, pleading the Fifth Amendment guy. Yes. Uh, In any event, Lankford destroyed that pastor by more than 40 points, according to the reported numbers today. Six Democrats, meanwhile, none of whom have held elected office before, are competing in the uh, Democratic primary to run against him this fall. Two of them, Madison Horn and Jason Bollinger, will now square off in a runoff in August for that uh, Democratic nomination after neither received more than 50 percent of the vote. But in Oklahoma's special U.S. Senate election, Republicans are looking to replace one of Desi's favorites, Senator (laughs) James M. Inhofe, James Mountain Inhofe. Yes, that is his name. His actual middle name. So uh, Inhofe is, of course, the king of the disgraceful Senate Republican Climate Crisis Denier Caucus. Uh, He announced his retirement in February. He will be gone happily as of January uh, of 2023 and not a moment too soon. The 13 candidate race to replace him, however, for the four years that are remaining in his term. Well, that has resulted in a runoff to be held on August 23 between 
Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen and T.W. Shannon. But here's the bit of fun news that I know Desi has been enjoying all morning. <laughs> Scott Pruitt. Remember him? The uh, Trump's disgraced, scandal-plagued, wildly corrupt, forced to resign in 2018 because that's just how bad he was. He was that bad that he was forced. He was so corrupt, he was forced to resign he from was, the Trump administration. Yes, he was too corrupt for even the Trump administration. He was the uh, former EPA uh, Environmental Protection Agency administer, uh, administrator. He was among those who was vying, who were vying for the nomination in the special U.S. Senate race on Tuesday, not only did Scott Pruitt fail to make the runoff on Tuesday, he came in a distant fifth place. So he lost bigly. Bigly. Uh, he did not even get double digits, by the way. He won just 5% of the vote in a state where he was once the uh, much beloved corrupt attorney general, as I recall. So there is that to celebrate, at least today even as we likely have very bad news heading our way from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding the climate crisis and the EPA uh, on Thursday, most likely. Am I right about that? It's Who knows? They might try Friday. At this point, it's it's just But waiting. am I right that it's bad news? Yes. it's it's Everyone expects <laughs> it to be the yeah. worst possible news. So Right. They are likely to bar the EPA from regulating carbon pollution just because they now have the numbers to do so. Not because there's any particular rule or law in place to be struck down. Seriously, now that the corrupt Supreme Court is just, you know, they're they're just taking up cases in order to forward their activist political agenda, period. But we'll hold that off. I'll hold off on that bad news till tomorrow with uh, oh, with Desi Doyen's postponed Green News report from yesterday coming up a little bit later. Yes. Uh, finally, in today's exceedingly curated and wholly incomplete roundup of election results from eight states on Tuesday, another special election, a low profile one, but perhaps a telling one in the great state of Nebraska. Uh, this is to fill the remainder of disgraced, convicted former GOP Congressman Jeff Fortenberry's term. This race, as AP observes today, was not supposed to have been a close one. Not in this very red congressional district that Republicans have held for nearly 60 years. Nonetheless, Republican Mike Flood defeated Democrat Patty Penzing Brooks, but by only just over five points on Tuesday for a seat that Fortenberry won in 2020 by nearly 22 points. AP notes the specific cause of the much smaller than expected margin was not immediate, immediately clear, though there is evidence of higher turnout in one Democratic-leaning county that could be related to the Supreme Court's Roe decision last Friday. Now, heading into Election Day, the Republican flood appeared to have a strong edge in the district, which includes Lincoln, parts of suburban Omaha, dozens of smaller, more conservative towns. The district has nearly 68,000 more Republicans than Democrats. It has not elected a Democrat to the House since 1964. So what happened? Well, Lancaster County, which is home to the state capitol and the University of Nebraska, may offer some clues here. In 2020, when Fortenberry won the district by nearly 22 percentage points, he lost Lancaster County 
by less than one percentage point. But in Tuesday's special election, the Republican flood lost Lancaster County by more than 13 points, Hmm. which is a huge change in a Democratic part of the district, if these numbers are correct. The swing, of course, was not enough to move the rest of the heavily Republican district, but Democrats could look to the results for maybe some hope that the road decision could be a significant motivator for the Democratic base in the first Democratic versus Republican election contest that we have seen since Roe was overturned. I mean, that is just a huge pickup for Democratic turnout, it would seem, against a Republican in what should be a totally safe seat. So it's stuff like that which leads me to continue to remind you to be very skeptical of so-called conventional wisdom regarding a blowout uh, against Democrats this November in these decidedly unconventional times. It certainly could happen. I don't want to get your hopes up, but it is political malpractice. It's democracy malpractice, frankly, at this point, to assume that that will happen. Now, we need to get to a quick break here. I'll have some more on, on all of this in a moment. But in addition to the earthquake, that overtur- the political earthquake that overturning Roe could cause Amongst the electorate this year, there is also this reminder. Congressman Fortenberry, the Republican who had held the seat but finally resigned after criminal indictments, he was sentenced to two years, well, of probation on Tuesday for lying to the FBI. Yes, he got off too easily, but the point is there are a whole lot of Republican criminals out there who could be facing Similar indictments between here and November, and not just backbencher congressmen in safe seats, all of which could have an even more unpredictable effect on the electorate this fall. So a few more thoughts along those lines, a few more uh, pieces of evidence, and yes, maybe tea leaves after a quick break. And then uh, Desi Doyen with our latest Green News report. That's all ahead on the broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not predicting that Democrats are going to do really well this November. They uh, they could, but they could also absolutely face the blowout that so many of these so-called experts are currently predicting based largely on history that almost always sees a first term president's party take a shellacking in the midterms, particularly when the president is facing low approval ratings, as is the case with Joe Biden right now. So I'm not trying to give you false hope here. Right. But there are uh, as many unknown factors 
as there are known factors this year, unprecedented Supreme Court rulings, unprecedented criminal investigations of an unprecedentedly unpopular former president who, along with his party, tried to undermine American democracy as we know it. So, yeah, that sort of thing may not sit well with the electorate and, you know, a whole bunch of other data points, which, as I have argued, have resulted in times that are far too unpredictable to simply roll over to so-called conventional wisdom. According to CBS News, the American public is rendering its initial judgment on the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and most, nearly 60% of Americans disapprove of the ruling, including two-thirds, 67% of women. By more than a 20-point margin, Americans call it a step backward rather than forward for America, and women, by more than three to one, think the ruling will make women's lives worse rather than better. That's a lot of folks in the electorate. Uh, as, they, as they look ahead, those disapproving of last Friday's, Friday's rulings are especially likely to think that the high court might someday limit or end birth control and also same-sex marriage. Views on Roe being overturned, as expected, divide along party lines, though perhaps not as completely as political debate and legislative battles might suggest. One in five Republicans disapprove. One in five which could that's like 20 percent of them that could easily turn uh, some close elections this year across demographic groups. Younger people are especially likely to disapprove. Most self-identified moderate voters disapprove. Two thirds of Hispanic Americans disapprove. Three fourths of black Americans and just over half of white Americans all disapprove of this. I discussed uh, a number of times, including in the last segment, that Yahoo YouGov poll that came out just after the draft majority opinion overturning Roe was leaked back in May, fi finding that the uh, preference for Democrats doubled from uh, on the uh, generic ballot from five to 13 points when you described the Democrat as pro-choice and the Republican as pro-life. This ruling by the Supreme Court is not a popular one with voters. It could have a very big impact on this November's elections, at least if voters come out to vote and have their votes counted as cast, and at least as according to more and more polls now. The new CBS poll taken over the weekend after the Supreme Court ruling found uh, on Roe found that by a 21-point margin, Americans view the decision as a step backward rather than a step forward. And uh, of, of most note today, when it comes to voting this November, 50 percent of Democrats in this poll say that they are now more likely to vote because of the decision. Twenty eight percent of independents say that 20 percent for uh, of Republicans say that that they are more likely to vote now. As TPM's Josh Marshall notes, those numbers can turn a lot of races. But until and unless Democrats make it clear that they will absolutely codify Roe v. Wade into law if Democrats retain both their House majority and pick up two more Senate seats so that they have enough to reform the filibuster to allow them to do that, to codify Roe into federal law with a simple majority vote in the U.S. Senate, 
since Manchin and uh, Cinema uh, have refused to reform the undemocratic filibuster for any reason, unless Democrats make that, uh, forgive me, contract with America, it is going to be a very tough battle. But if they can do that, the numbers here are, are, are here to support them, it seems to me, particularly after Roe. So it's a tough battle, but it is one that can be won, I believe, if they make that very clear promise to the country about what they will do if they retain the majority in the House, pick up two seats in the Senate and vow that in January we will make Roe the law of the land in January of 2023. In another uh, post-Dobbs survey, this one from uh, NPR Marist, the results are similar to the uh, CBS poll and some of these others. But this one notes that Democrats have regained the favor of voters to control Congress, with 48 percent now saying they are more likely to vote for a Democratic candidate in the fall and just 41 percent saying they are more likely to vote for a Republican. So 48 to 41. But in April, just before the leak of that uh, draft decision overturning Roe, Republicans actually led on that question in this very same poll, 47 to 44. Okay, so back in April. Back in April, uh, Republicans are ahead, 48 to 41. Now it's Democrats 47 to 44. That's a Mm. huge move. That's a huge swing from a three point deficit for Democrats in April to a seven point advantage now in the same poll. So never mind the the actual numbers there, 48 to 41. The point is, in the same poll, there is a 10 point swing in favor of Democrats since the news of the court overturning Roe. As uh, Josh Marshall correctly points out, he says, for clarity, gerrymandering and urban concentration make it the case that Democrats have to be significantly ahead on this congressional generic ballot to have any hope of winning control of the House. It's also just one poll. It's right in the aftermath of a shattering news event. So he notes, uh, you know, don't take it as evidence that everything has changed and the Democrats are now likely to control the House next year. But it is best seen, he says, as a sign of the transformative potential of the post row political environment and the huge potential of harnessing uh, that ruling to the midterm elections, both for protecting the Democratic majorities and making Roe law next January if they do so. But. As long as we're reading tea leaves here, uh, there's one more, some history here that may be worth noting that may may be telling as we move toward November, as uh, Business Insider of all places observes. Uh, political analysts seeking to understand the possible impact of Roe v. Wade being overturned on this year's midterm elections uh, are looking at some data from 2018 that may reveal a poss- some possible trends. In 2018, following the contentious confirmation hearings of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was very credibly accused at the time of sexual assault by Christine Ford, 40 Republican U.S. House seats flipped to Democratic candidates. Now, you might say in 2018 that had more to do with the nation hating Donald Trump because they did. However, GOP candidates had led in polls that were taken prior to those hearings. 
And then they went on to lose in 27 of those races, indicating increased mobilization among partisan voters following those hearings. So it sure seems to me that the same thing could happen in November, following what the court did on Friday. Citing that 2018 data, political strategist B.J. Rudell uh, wrote an article for The Hill saying that uh, this speaking of Roe, is uh, when the midterms were decided, as he sees it. Everything leading up to it for many Americans is a gradual erosion of political and social norms, uh, but it was gradual. On the other hand, this was an overnight electoral revolution, he says. Republicans uh, giving an accused sexual predator a lifetime appointment on the nation's highest court was the lightning rod that struck the political life out of 27 House Republicans back in 2018, who up to that point had a good shot at winning. But the Supreme Court's decision on Friday to repeal Roe may cause a similar increase in voter activity in this year's midterms. As noted in the previous segments, uh, we've seen some signs of that already in the very first elections to be held after the ruling came down. Rudell continued, for Democrats to win and perhaps win big in November, they already have everything they need. They simply need to make the 2022 midterms a referendum for the majority of citizens who recognize 19th century immoral norms do not belong in the 21st century America. So we'll see, as I said, reading tea leaves. But there are tea leaves. I'm glad that there are tea leaves to read. And and listen, you know, it took 47 something years for Republicans to get what they wanted. They never stopped voting. They never shirked or said it was pointless. They got out there and they got it done. And so I think that that is a lesson for the rest of us in trying to restore these rights. Especially since that's not the only thing that is on the ballot this November that Americans may have a thing or two to say about. All right. Speaking of immoral 19th century norms, (laughs) Green News Report is next with Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Okay. Because of the uh, uh, hearings in the U.S. House, the uh, U.S. House Select Committee, everything is everything is off. That means we had to push Desi down the road yes. for a day or so. Sorry about that. So we're running a little behind. We'll get to it, though, today in our latest Green News Report. There were multiple errors, miscalculations, and just a total lack of resources by the U.S. Forest Service. New Mexico's largest ever wildfire caused by a prescribed burn. 
Japan's electric grid strains under historic extreme heat wave. Plus, about three quarters of U.S. adults have experienced extreme weather in the last five years. And for many of them, extreme weather events are disastrous for long-term finances. All of those disasters and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I made the point that Jeff Clark is not even competent to serve as the attorney general. He's never been a criminal attorney. He's never conducted a criminal investigation in his life. And he kind of retorted by saying, well, I've done a lot of very complicated appeals and environmental litigation. And I said, that's right. You're an environmental lawyer. How about you go back to your office and we'll call you when there's an oil spill? Oh, environmental lawyer slam. Well, it's Jeff Clark. Actually, he was an anti-environmental lawyer. So go get him. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, you think enough people are watching the January 6th hearings to know that Jeff Clark was the guy that Donald Trump was trying to put into the top of the Department of Justice to help him steal the election? Well, if they didn't, they do now. They do now. What do you got for us today? Well, first, in Japan, officials are urging millions of residents to conserve electricity as an historic and dangerous heat wave strains the electric grid. A persistent heat wave gripping Northeast Asia set a new national record for Japan for the month of June at 100 four degrees and 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle, the town of Norilsk, Russia, hit a record 90 degrees. Mm. Globally, multiple June heat waves have set monthly and all-time high temperature records in the U.S., Europe, Asia, and the Russian Arctic, and it's not even July yet, which is typically the hottest month in the Northern Hemisphere. All of this matters because increasingly severe, frequent, and long-lasting heat waves are a clear manifestation of human-caused global warming. And this is a very cruel summer so far. Here in the U.S., a new report by the U.S. Forest Service concludes that the agency's mistakes during a controlled burn to reduce the threat of wildfires were responsible for causing New Mexico's ongoing Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon complex fire. Oops. The largest wildfire in the state's history. The report found that the agency used outdated modeling that underestimated climate change intensified drought and heat. Ah. Plus, it found chronic understaffing made worse by government shutdowns and the pandemic created a years-long backlog in forest clearing projects that put pressure on crews to catch up. Forest Service Chief Randy Moore said man-made climate change has narrowed the window for prescribed burns and it is causing more intense and frequent wildfires, creating, quote, conditions on the ground that we have never encountered. Fires are outpacing our models. Not good. A different study underscores how climate change is dangerous, widespread and costly. It finds that more than 70 percent of American adults say they have been directly affected by extreme weather events like hurricanes wildfires, floods, and heat waves over the last five years. And for many, it was financially devastating. The new nationwide survey conducted by Harvard University and National Public Radio found many weather disaster victims suffered long-term financial problems, in part because most disaster victims do not receive federal emergency funding. Well, the important thing is that it doesn't cost the fossil fuel companies anything They're doing just fine. Here's NPR reporter Rebecca Hersher. About a fifth of people who experience floods 
they had long-term financial problems. And as far as health goes, about a third of the people who were affected by wildfires said that they had serious problems, mostly because of smoke in the air. People who are already marginalized in our society, they are more likely to suffer long-term financial impacts, long-term health impacts after a weather disaster. Good reporting from NPR there. And it's probably not a surprise that the survey found that people who have experienced extreme weather are more concerned about climate change and support climate policies. Go figure. But some good news. A federal environmental assessment has determined that hard rock mining in the Minnesota wilderness is an exceptionally bad idea that would risk contaminating the region's water. The U.S. Forest Service assessment found that proposed copper and nickel mining would pose a major risk to the region's famous Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. The draft assessment proposes a 20-year ban on copper mining on federal lands in the watershed, and it comes six months after the Biden Interior Department canceled two mining leases in the area granted by the Trump administration. Good for the Biden administration. Finally, voters in Colombia in South America have elected their first leftist president, an economist and former guerrilla fighter named Gustavo Petro, who campaigned on a platform of reorganizing Colombia's economy to combat climate change and end its dependence on fossil fuels. Petro has pledged to phase out new fossil fuel production. The ironically named Petro. Indeed. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah. And if you think the uh, summer has been cruel so far... Uh, just wait till the decision, I fear, will be coming from the Supreme Court on Thursday regarding the EPA. Yeah, that's, um, we'll see what happens. Probably I mean, not going to be good news. I hope I'm terribly wrong. I hope you're wrong, too, but um, I don't think you will be. So there we go. Find out on our next thrilling episode <laughs> of the Bradcast. Until then, my thanks to our yeah. producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a one-time donation, which is greatly appreciated, as is a monthly donation. By the way, we've lost a number of subscribers lately. Oh, no. Not because of anything we did, but tough times out there, mm-hmm. as they have let me know. So mm-hmm. if anyone uh, would like to uh, make up for that, we'd greatly appreciate it. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I think Mark Joseph Stern will be with us on the next Bradcast. He's always fun. <laughs> Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>